0: This is Commerce Shenanigans, episode seven hundred eight. A conversation with Matt Wilson. Welcome to the Comic Shenanigans Podcast. I'm your host, Adam shopman This is episode 708. It's my conversation with the Eisner Award-winning Matt Wilson. Uh, Matt has worked on a lot of books in the last uh, decade or so. I mean, he got into the, uh, the industry before that, but uh, in particular, just if in the last 10 years, if you've been reading a Marvel comic, you've probably read something that he's colored. Um, he's worked on books, uh, both that have been creator-owned, and he's also worked on big Marvel books. Uh, there's been some DC titles here and there, but uh, he's just an amazing colorist, and uh, just one look at his colors will tell you why. Like, he just really... The way... I mean, I'm, I'm a colorblind person anyway, so I'm maybe not the best person to judge colors, but there's just something about his work, and it, there's so much life to it uh, in terms of the colors that he brings, um, and he's been able to do so many different types of work. Anyways, was just a, such a great conversation. I was really glad to sit down with Matt. We talked for almost an hour and a half, um, so it was a really great conversation. Uh, so I hope you enjoy it. Upcoming episode. So uh, in October, I'm going to be sitting down with the legendary Marv Wolfman for an interview. I'll also be speaking with uh, Ralph Macchio. We'll be coming back to the show. He was previously on the show last year. I'm also going to have uh, Kelly Thompson back on the show as well. So that's just some of the things to look forward to in October and November uh, when those episodes will be releasing. So I'm really excited about those. Uh, If you have questions you want to submit uh, to the show to be asked of those uh, three individuals, uh, if you can do so before October the 10th, that would be great because uh, I think... The week after that is the week I'll be doing all those interviews, so uh, thanks anyway. Uh, You can rate and review the show on iTunes, subscribe to us on iTunes, and also listen to us on Stitcher, and you can also email me at comic-shenanigans at gmail.com. Now without further ado, let's get right into the conversation where I sit down with Matt Wilson. Enjoy. Matt, welcome to the Comic Shenanigans Podcast. Who are you today? i could. How are you, Adam? I'm good. I'm good. Excited to have you on. Um, I, in preparation, I was reacquainting myself with all of your credits, and I, uh, I feel like you can't have read a Marvel comic in the last ten years without seeing your work somewhere.
1: <laughs> yeah, I've done quite a few. Lost count.
0: <laughs> uh, but let's go. Let's go way back. I mean, when when did comics first become part of your life? Uh, were you a fan growing up, or did it come to you later? Like, where did that kind of start?
1: Yeah, early-ish. I don't remember how old anymore, but. Um wasn't a thing i grew up with in my household but i made a friend at one point in my childhood and his dad liked comics and so you know my friend read comics they went to the comic shop and i think i was introduced to all of it through them uh and then i I read for a while and then in the early 90s or i guess that would be mid 90 whatever it was like the right around the time the image launched all that kind of stuff um some of that stuff like just rubbed my mom the wrong way i don't know she was
0: uh,
1: <laughs> not into some of that at least the visuals and she didn't make much of an effort to understand it either so anyway so it was it kind of kind of got cut off except for like some pretty innocuous like superman stuff and that kind of thing but mm-hmm. then um you know the thing that kept me going after that was like batman the animated series or batman beyond or x-men cartoons or um Oh, uh, like the the trading cards, like the Marvel and DC trading cards, and oh, for yeah, sure. kind of yeah, comics adjacent type stuff uh, stayed around for a while, and then I didn't get back into comics until I was in college. Then, um, so big gap, and then uh,
0: so what, what? I'm always interested. In what brought you back? Like what? What was the uh, well? I went to art school
1: and um, the degree I was getting was based in comics, so there was just, you know, everybody around me was was reading comics and talking about comics, so it just made sense, and and I thought I wanted to go to school for film and video and that kind of thing, that, that's what I thought I was interested in, and I was, but I could also draw and uh, paint and sculpt and everything else, so I thought oh, i would be a waste to not use some of those skills, and the art school I went to had a, a degree in sequential art, and so I was like, well, that seems... That's like similar to my filmmaking interests, but also utilizing my drawing abilities. So seems like a good fit. And I, you know, I, I liked comics, you know, when I was younger, and uh, still have an interest in them. Uh, so, I, so I ended up in that department for school, and
0: uh, yeah. So now, when when you come back to it, so like you're in school and you're you know getting more immersed into comics. Who were the creators that kind of stood out as kind of being the ones that really kind of helped ease oh. that transition back in? Man that's a good question I haven't thought about that period
1: of my reading in a long time um I think especially because I had been so removed from it uh and a real easy uh an easy one for me to like latch onto was uh Kingdom Come uh so you know Alex Ross's art's super realistic and um uh, just uh, you know not too challenging for someone as far as like mm. looking at and enjoying art so that I, that's the one that's coming to mind immediately i mean god to be i had a a ton of uh, bu- my roommate in particular it was again it's i'm <laughs> as i've gotten older i've realized a pattern in my life where i'm usually like uh you know i'm like if no force is acting upon me i sit still pretty well so it's like <laughs> i wasn't searching out a lot of stuff and uh and my roommate would you know just have a bunch of comics that kind of stuff and so through him and professors and um, classmates and that kind of thing, I, I would just kind of dabble here and there. I'm trying to remember what I mean. If at, at that point, late '90s, a lot of Vertigo stuff mm-hmm. uh, was was a big draw for me. Um, this is post college. This is a little while. This is a couple years from when we're talking about, but one that relates kind of directly to my coloring and um, was. Uh, vertigo book that cliff chang drew called beware the creeper and uh, Mm. dave stewart colored it and i remember so i was out of college at this point working um, at a comic book coloring studio it's like my first real art job after school um and we got dc comps um like a big box of, of everything they put out every month and so i would always go through that and um this book in particular caught my eye and i just remember thinking like oh Wow, this is what comic coloring can be like. This is the kind of thing I want to aim for. So it was, it's very cool to since so met Dave Stewart and worked with Cliff Chang and all that kind of stuff. But
0: I'm going to jump ahead for a second. But what has there been someone that you've worked with directly that felt like this is like working with a hero, or this is working with an idol, or someone that you head up on that not maybe a pedestal, but like definitely looked up to? That was kind of one of the highlights.
1: Yeah, I mean, I didn't
0: it's a weird question
1: yeah 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 because yeah yeah because like I, I feel like when I think about that question you know I can you look at it from the perspective of like of oh, this younger person and they have an idol fast forward to however many years it takes to work with that person and so much changes between those two points in your life that True. by the time you get to that state at least for me for my personal experience by the time that event happens it doesn't quite feel like that, you know, it doesn't feel like it does, uh, the way the questions posed or whatever. Mm
0: -hmm. Um, Which makes sense.
1: Yeah, so like a lot of those just, I I probably do have some of those things, and and the one I just referenced about working with Cliff would probably qualify as that. They just don't register as those kinds of memories, I think, because of the way uh, events unfold. Mm -hmm. Um, But I mean, certainly (laughs) I'm, again, going back to the 90s and um, you know, the start of Image, and then I'll just leading up to that like the founders you know jim lee and it uh, was a big time favorite artist of mine when i was uh growing up and then you know i remember i still remember the first time being on an email thread with jim lee and i was just like oh well that's kind of cool you know i mean it did register <laughs> uh, uh but but nothing more than a like that just a, a pretty quick little register of uh oh that's neat <laughs> tell 13 year old matt that I'd be on an email with jim lee one day or something
0: i guess that's how i should have posed the question is uh you know which younger version of yourself would be most excited that you got to work yeah, with x yeah you know? no that's
1: a great way because that yeah yeah separate they uh, take all the years in between out of the equation and yeah 13 year old me would be super impressed that uh that however old me had to email or uh you know one time i i was like in a green room at a convention or whatever just eating lunch or uh getting some water and you know happened to Eric Larson sat down at the table, you know, and just chit chat with him, kind of thing. So, um,
0: <laughs>
1: just weird stuff like that that, you know, in the grand scheme of things aren't, aren't any big deal, but a 13 year old me would have loved it.
0: I was talking with um, actually a fellow podcaster, and we we're talking about how. You know, when when you're, when you're younger, especially if you're a comic book fan, the comic book creators are like your your superstars. They're you know they're your movie stars. And so, in some ways, it's almost crazier to meet them or talk to them. At least from a, like you know that five year old, to thirteen year old perspective of oh my god, this is a real person. Because <laughs> yeah. when, when you're just reading it as a kid, like it's just you know it's like these gods on the page. Um, they're yeah. creating this amazing tapestry, and you can't even imagine that they're just a real person.
1: Yeah, oh, I remember that. I I remember feeling that way a lot uh and very clearly like early in my comics career or, or you know like going to conventions and going oh that's what brian still looks like i have no idea you know <laughs> or like whatever just like oh yeah <laughs> that's a real human being right there uh that isn't you know all i've ever thought of. to me they look like their art i never considered what they look mm-hmm. like as a because this is you know pre-internet and all that kind of stuff and there's wasn't interviews and pictures and social media and whatever
0: oh yeah there was a time uh, you know, I, I, yeah
1: I, I was gonna say because yeah, i was gonna say like it, you know nowadays i get people coming up to my table and like just as a random example we lost our dogs one year for like a week and i've of course posted about it and whatever and i'd always post pictures of my dogs and so now like at convention you know it's been a few years so it doesn't happen as much anymore but like for that whole next year at convention's first thing probably a third of the people said to me when they came up was like i'm so glad you found your dogs you know so it's like (laughs) complete opposite of uh of uh, me growing up us growing up not knowing uh, anything about our favorite comic artists or writers
0: yeah i was gonna say like i I feel like the most we ever got was when i guess in the mid-90s when you had wizard and they actually had like Mm -hmm. pictures of the creators and that was kind of huge
1: yeah 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 like the uh the top 10 creators
0: list kind of thing exactly um now when so actors out of school like how do you end up being in a in a in a coloring company like how does that even happen oh i
1: just by luck. i mean I, I like most of my life i've like just kind of stumbled into it uh there was so i went to school in a comics uh, program so like one of the classes was for coloring uh and just so happened in that same town um there's a colorist uh his name's lee lowridge he still works and he does a bunch of stuff still um mm-hmm. but yeah colored a bunch of vertigo stuff and and um he had a studio where he had assistants and flatters and whatever um he just had a space downtown and had some desks in it and people would hang out in flat comics color comics um and so we went our professor in the coloring class took us to his studio for uh like a field trip or whatever and um so then when i graduated com- college graduated, college, graduated <laughs> college uh a year whatever long later um and i thought well the only place i'd want to work if I stuck around here would be you know this place it's relevant to my interests and my my studies and so um, I took him a portfolio and kind of got the well we're a small shop there and a lot of people here and you know so then they all kind of sticking around so I don't really have a spot but you know nice portfolio kit and I thought well he's just being nice and then like two weeks later um or so uh one of the people in the studio got engaged and left uh and so a spot opened up so he reached back out to me and uh asked if i was still interested and so i i i think i had even left savannah like i think i'd already left savannah came back to like specifically to give him my portfolio uh saying the girl i was dating at the time was uh getting a job in savannah so i thought well maybe i'll move back there and um and then i you know she didn't get that job i was like well I guess I'm not going to live in Savannah went on and then Lee called me back and uh, I think he sent me a page or something like flat this and color it and time each process and, and send it back and let me know and then I did that and he's like alright do you want a job uh, you want to move back here and work here and so that's so what I did
0: wow yeah now did, when you were when you were in in your program before obviously working with lee um just was college just something that you really kind of gravitated or towards or found that you really had kind of a, a knack for it or what, how did it kind of speak to you because obviously yeah, it's no, a very specific art
1: right it, yeah and I, I i just i dug it like as a kid i mean you know, i i remember getting a huge set of prismacolor markers you know for christmas one year and um a classmate of, of mine in high school and i um who actually i referred to him earlier he was also my roommate later in college um he again was like you know oh he'd bring these comics to school and um and and we would then in our our art classes together draw our own comics and uh so i was coloring them with markers so i mean i i always had an interest in making the art i created you know not just black and white but color and then um taking the comics coloring class, you know, I was stoked because I was like, all right, I'm going to learn how to use Photoshop. I can now color digitally. I don't have to just color things with markers or whatever. Um, and I just was pretty decent at it. I mean, I'm not sure I would look back at that stuff and think it's pretty pretty amateurish. Um, but I guess for everybody else that were also, were also amateurs at the time, uh, it was not bad. And uh, I enjoyed it. And, and then again, like I said, it, like looking around Savannah, Georgia, which is the town where I lived, uh, where I went to school. I was like, "Well, the only thing around here I'd want to do is this coloring studio." So it wasn't like I was like, "I love coloring; I want to be a colorist." That wasn't really a thing uh, in two thousand two or two thousand three. That mm. you know now, I think it's a lot more common. I get tons of people coming to my table at conventions to get portfolio reviews because they want to be a comic colorist. And like at the time, uh, you know, everyone that I went to school with wanted to, wanted to you know draw comics. Uh, mm coloring was just a class you had to take to get our degree.
0: So I really that, set out to do it. Why do you think that's changed over the years that more people are interested in that being the field? Um, lot,
1: yeah, uh, I think probably a lot of reasons. I, I think, so like, one reason I think is probably the proliferation of the digital tools to color comics are mm-hmm. just common now. Um, you know, it's like so many... Artists, you know, don't just draw their stuff; they draw and color it. Um, you know, sometimes they can't in certain scenarios where a comic has to come out every month; there's just not time for it. But um, so there's that. So I think, like, you know, a lot of artists who are in their 20s now, like, they probably got their first tablet or something, um, like a like a Intuos tablet, like, you know, to do digital art on, you know in their teens or something like when they were young when I was at the phase I was still using markers so <laughs> like coloring digitally is just a more common thing um and then on top of it uh, a little like ba- little back and forth of colorists trying to get more recognition and credit uh kind of fighting for that on like the publisher level um and then Plus, social media, where colorists are out there promoting themselves and their work uh, and each other, and then you know the flip side of the publishers giving us more credit and recognition is that you know it's the, the readers are kind of told they should care. Um, uh, hey, pay attention! You know, oh, who are these three names on this cover? Oh, it's, I love this book. i really like these colors there's this person's name you know that all the pieces are kind of laid out for readers a little more now mm-hmm. uh, so i think it's just all that stuff kind of mixed together and then i guess i wanted to add to the the proliferation of the digital tools i think colors are just gotten so good like there's so many good colorists now um so you know the, i think coloring itself is just keeps getting better and better uh and more noticeable uh and possibly you know add to that a lot of maybe my, and this may not be true. This may just be a, a a bad observation on my part. But like, maybe more comic art is more color reliant now than maybe it used to be. Mm. Um, so uh, I don't know. I, I, a lot of that stuff all kind of mixed together. I think is what has kind of let colorists, you know, flourish in the industry and kind of be more noticed. I mean, so.
0: yeah, I, I wouldn't say you're wrong there because I mean, if you look at you know. Especially pre digital coloring, like it was a lot more. I don't want to say generic, because that seems mean to the colorist, but it was just different. Like there was limitations, and now there's so much more depth that can do with the colors. That yeah, it does feel like sometimes maybe there's more of the heavy lifting gets done in the color art because you can.
1: Yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah, that definitely does happen.
0: So this is again kind of a jumping way ahead, but is I mean, would you who which colorist when you were kind of coming up? did you find that you were most kind of floored by or most inspired by in terms of what, how they were able to n- manipulate their tools?
1: Um, I think what always grabbed my attention was, um, probably like cut, like people's sense of color, their, the palettes they use, the color choices. So it was always like, um, Dave Stewart and Dave McCaig and, uh, like, Matt Hollingsworth and Mm -hmm. uh, Trish Mulville on um, 100 Bullets and, like, uh, gosh, who else? Um, Yeah, I mean, a a bunch of others I'm sure I'm not going to remember as I sit here and think, but, like, you know, those those are some of the – Laura Martin, uh, you know, I'm kind of – I'm jumping ahead, you know, year by year here as I think through it, you know, uh, because certain things would grab me. Almost in relation to like my abilities or where I was at, like you know, okay, I know I'm not I'm not very good at or practiced at like doing a lot of style or really high end rendering, like you know, some of the real high end superhero comic coloring. So that kind of stuff, I wasn't paying attention to that as much yet because I just wasn't there yet. I wasn't ready to good at that yet or get good at that yet so i was looking at a lot of palette stuff and you know how certain colors work with their you know value ranges and that kind of thing Mm -hmm. um and then once i you know felt pretty good about where i was heading uh with those aspects of coloring you know then i started paying attention to like you know colors who were a little more um rendered heavy and, and good at it like laura martin and justin ponzer and um you know, and then fast forward a little bit further and uh, I started catching you know the, or my interests are starting to be caught by people who did all that stuff, but in maybe a little offbeat ways like Dean White, um, mm. stuff like that. So you know the, it, all these people I still like the ones I was liking you know to start with or whatever, but I would kind of uh, I don't know evolve into a, a different set of interests as, as what I was wanting to do or work on or get better at and my career would change
0: if you had to kind of x-ray your, your current work, who's maybe like, which influence is most, most present in the DNA of your work? Mm. Again, it's a weird question.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think like, probably like, I would say like my, you know, it's like, like like if my coloring, it was, you know, started as one thing and I keep bolting things onto it. Like, Mm. uh, the thing that started it was probably that, you know, like I said, Dave Stewart looking at, um, uh, Beware the Creeper. Is that the name? Anyway, the one he colored Cliff Chang on the Vertigo book, you know, that was the book that like kind of sparked it for me, even though, like I said, I was working at that color, coloring studio, but I was just like an assistant and just kind of learning the ropes and stuff. So, but that book I saw like, you know, an identity at least similar to an identity i would like to have as a colorist one day in that book and so i would probably say that's you know my kind of founding influence
0: okay um now we've talked about you know kind of working at the coloring studio at what point do you make the decision to break off or go off on your own how does that kind of come about
1: yeah uh so i worked there for maybe five or six years in total um and for the first few years like i didn't think about doing much else or I was making some money and doing something I liked with a bunch of people I enjoyed hanging out with day in and day out. And, um, and then I started, you know, I was going to some comic conventions with some friends of mine from college. So, you know, peers at my own age and, um, they were getting into the industry in various ways as artists or writers or colorists. And, um, so I would end up Uh, hanging out with them at their table and you know if they were an artist with the writer that they were working with or so on and so forth so I ended up kind of my circle of friends and peers in the industry started to kind of expand a little bit and um, at one point uh, you know one of those writers would say hey I've got this pitch I'm working on or a book I'm working on and I need a colorist, but I don't have a budget. And yes, you know, this is a book selling maybe a thousand, two thousand copies or something. And, um, but I was getting to the point where I was interested in, I would, Oh, I'd like to have my name in a book. Cause I mean, any work I did was credited under the studio name. Mm. Um, so I would, I kind of treated that as like my second job or my night job, you know? So the day I was coloring comics at the studio and, and earning a paycheck. And then, um, at night I would color, you know, and not necessarily earn a paycheck, but I would get my name on a book, and I would, you know, kind of get my name out there, and and <laughs> also be able to get into a convention as like a professional because uh, I could show them a credit um, mm-hmm. in a comic. So yeah, so I just was kind of doing that again, mostly to just just to, just because I didn't really need to do it. I just wanted to do it, and then. Um, uh, right about the time I actually was kind of like, ah, maybe I'm done doing this comic coloring thing. Let's look for some other kinds of jobs. Um, just kind of getting tired of it after about five years. Um, I got a call from a friend that I'd met at a convention. He was a writer and he had a mutual friend who needed, um, a book or two colored at dark horse. Um, and that was kind of, and so that mutual fr- or that friend, he, who he was hooking me up with happened to be, uh, Rick Remender. And so like, it, the same, and then that same kind of thing happened a couple of times, right in that same time period, and all those people just ended up being uh, writers and artists who went on to do big stuff. Um, so like Rick Remender, and then Jamie McKelvey, and Karen Gillan, and um, God, I don't know, a bunch of other uh, people that I've worked with off and on that it all went on to have pretty, pretty good careers, and so. Uh, all that work kind of snowballed from like little jobs where I didn't get anything, didn't get paid anything to I maybe get a little bit of some small rate to then, you know, Dark Horse or these other publishers where I'd get a real rate and then um, so it kind of went from one year I was 100% work in the studio to the next year I was like, you know, 50-50 in the studio and, and the other half me and then the next year I had like 90% me and then 10% in the studio so it just kind of Naturally evolved. Um, and then Lee kind of changed the way he was running it all. He just got, didn't want to keep all those plates spinning that it took to run a studio. So, all of that kind of, uh, his need for other colorists decreased about the time all of my other work opportunities increased. So, uh, hmm. yeah. So, it all just kind of naturally transitioned. Uh, and again, I, it wasn't, I didn't set out with a, that, oh, this is my goal, I'm going to go become colorist in my own right I just kind of stumbled into it much like I stumbled into coloring in the first place so
0: what what would you say is is the book that kind of was your maybe your signature at the beginning or like the one that would kind of you feel you feel kind of established yourself as a presence and maybe helped feed into more of those jobs going forward
1: um probably probably phonogram um volume two uh which was the second thing I did with Jamie McKelvey after I did a Couple issues of a mini series he wrote. Then the next thing we did together was um, phonogram, the Singles Club. Was, was the name of that volume, and that got a lot of critical acclaim. Didn't set the sales charts on fire or anything. Um, and then that got all all of us, Kieran, Jamie, and myself, um, some attention from editors and, and for me, other um, writers and artists and stuff. So I would I started getting either asked. By you know a creator on a creator round or a creator working at, at work for hire at a big two or something started putting my name in for uh, books at places like Marvel and and so yeah I would say that was that was probably the one if I had to pick kind of one that was a tipping point.
0: What was the, what is the relationship like with you and Jamie in terms uh, of your yeah. work, your collaborations?
1: Yeah, uh, I mean just lots of emails um um, yeah lots of i mean we we talk it's like we go a few weeks without talking where he's doing the majority of his work you know figuring out layouts and that kind of stuff and then um and then our communication ramps up for a couple of weeks as he's finishing pages and maybe asking my opinion like hey i kind of want to do this thing would it be easier if i gave it to you like this or like that Mm -hmm. um and then of course while we're Uh, making an issue um, or you know where I'm coloring and he's maybe still finishing up inking or whatever Uh, you know we email back and forth a ton and then um, and then and then the random like hey what if we try this on our next thing or you know kind of those kinds of things so
0: when you're coloring a project like I'm just curious like what the what the usual collaboration seems to be or how much you know maybe contact you have with the artist to kind of say like you know what if i do this or do you kind of just go on and on your own i'm just curious because obviously you, you bring the penciled and ink work to life because you add these colors and these other depths but how much of that is you know per the artist's certain instructions or is it just more you on your own like i'm just curious how that working relationship works and obviously it would be different in various different projects right
1: yeah 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 and it does vary a bit from project to project but um it's it's pretty similar to how i described jamie and I. i mean jamie and i have a lot of shorthand since we just worked together for so long whereas another artist and i have to like kind of figure all that out uh if, if we haven't worked together a bunch but it all ends up being pretty similar i i usually you know a question i'll ask is is there anything you know you definitely want um is there anything you've already thought of as you're designing something color-wise? Like, you know, I just, I, I want as much information as I can get. You know, so I've had some artists say like, oh, well, I don't want to step on your toes, and and I say, well, you know, just tell me what you want, and then, you know, I can work around that. And you know, you're you're gonna give me one piece of information, and I'm gonna make a hundred decisions on every scene. So it's not like, oh, I gotta do this one thing. I don't. I have ninety nine other things I can make my. Uh, put my imprint on and make decisions about so it doesn't really bother me um if they they have something specific in mind about anything um and then also another question I will sometimes ask an artist if I think it's it'll be helpful to figure out what they're looking for is um like kind of what like what version of me do you like like what version of my colors do you like what book of mine do you like because I feel like you know I've Color some books a little differently than others, and so when someone just says, "Oh, I like your colors," and you know, I want to work with you, like I'm, I know, some, if I sometimes I'll look at their art and I think, oh, I wonder which of my colors they like," like which of my colors do they do they see fitting on their work? So sometimes I'll try to have that conversation because uh, I think that can provide some useful information for me.
0: When I mean, obviously, you've done you know, cosmic, you've done grand, you've done epic, you've done more mundane. What is kind of your favorite? kind of uh, coloristic style in terms of where the artwork's going to go
1: the opposite of whatever i just got finished doing <laughs> <laughs>
0: um
1: yeah, yeah i don't know um i think that's actually my real answer because usually like whatever i'm like I, whatever i just get finished doing i don't want to do anymore for at least a couple of days uh so i'm, I'm always pleased when that the next book i'm turning around and working on is, is a complete opposite like it was always nice to go from um to go from like the mighty thor to paper girls like that mm-hmm. was a pretty drastic difference both in content sort of uh, uh depend further into paper girls it got a little more out there but like uh usually it contrasted both content and style um so like those were always a nice jump between Uh, And So yeah, I always say I feel bad for artists who have to work on the same thing for like six weeks and then I'm doing, you know, I've probably done six to eight books in that same amount of time. So I've get to do drastically different things and, you know, flex different creative muscles in that same time period.
0: Is that part of what I guess keeps it fresh for you because you are able to kind of jump between project to project as opposed to, you know, a penciler who's just working on the same book all the time.
1: Yeah, for sure. I, and I would imagine this is probably because I've been colored for so long. And so now I just, this is the way I'm hardwired is, uh, like that just sounds awful to me. (laughs) Like, I don't, (laughs) I don't think I had the attention span for that anymore. And I think uh, maybe that's a lot to do with like how I've been working for the last, uh, 16, 17 years, where it's I'm spending a week on a thing and then I'm moving on. Um, so yeah, I, I definitely, that's definitely one of the favorite parts of my job is that I get to work on so Many different things and even aside from like the pure creation of art aspect of that just the fact i get i get to be a part of a bunch of really cool projects all at once like i don't you know some people have to pick and choose like "Ah, god i got offered this great book but i you know i'm already committed to this other thing um yeah that's i mean that happens for me still sometimes uh, Mm -hmm. for sure but like You know, I I had Paper Girls and The Wicked and The Divine, and, uh, you know, at one point, uh, Black Widow with Chris Somney. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, I just had, you know, I have, like, these killer lineups of work, um, and, like like we've already mentioned, usually drastically different creatively. So I'm getting very fulfilled creatively in different ways, and getting to be a part of really uh, uh, great pieces of fiction, and, like, getting to know a bunch of really great creators who are also usually pretty terrific people, so uh, I, I really like that part of this job.
0: Well, is, has there ever been a particular like assignment that you've had where you did like you felt a sense of intimidation, um, when coming onto it because you weren't sure how your colors were going to be able to meld with a specific arts artist.
1: Oh God. Yeah. All the time. Uh, <laughs> uh, you know, m- maybe a little less now than earlier in my career. Cause I just feel more confident in, overall about my abilities. Um, but even still, to this day, like there's still plenty of times I get offered a job, and I go, "Ooh, like maybe I should turn this down because I'm not sure I'll be, like I may I may suck at it. <laughs> um, like, what if I don't do a good job on it? Um, but yeah, I mean, there's still and it happens a lot with the artists who um, I know who are really good at coloring themselves. Um, hmm. So you know because I know they see their art in color and I know they're able to execute those ideas uh, really competently Yeah, that puts a lot of pressure on me to do uh, you know, at least do a halfway decent job a, That's yeah.
0: a really interesting perspective I hadn't thought of that yeah, I guess if, if someone's used to or able to color themselves they would have a different kind of outlook on how it should look whereas someone who's really just does the pencils and inks and maybe doesn't go that extra direction because they can't do that themselves
1: Yeah, and I don't think I'm. I mean, I know Chris Somni and I have had this specific discussion, so I don't think I'm speaking out of turn when I say, you know, like I know a lot of times he's like, just do your thing, buddy. Like I don't know. He's very much like, don't ask me about colors. Like he'll have if I get something wrong, or if he had a certain idea for something, he'll he'll let me know. But like, you know, as opposed to like, um, say Cliff Chang for example, who um, if people are familiar with his long, long career as a cover artist like know that he can draw in color really well uh or color his own drawings i should say really well um you know so he has a lot of thoughts because he sees the work in color to begin with um and that's not to say that i have to do like uh, he tells me how to color and i color it like that actually doesn't happen you know i can't tell many times The response i've gotten back from cliff is is that of surprise by what i gave him Uh, you know where he's like oh i didn't even see it that way that's really interesting you know we'd have discussions almost as two different colorists talking about something
0: um so i'm curious what it was like to uh what was it like to color for neil adams when doing first x-men um
1: god i don't know let me think about that that was a long time ago um hmm
0: it was seven years ago so you, you...
1: i was but in the, again uh, uh, referencing the amount of things i color i'm like really having to cycle back through a lot of stuff to get back to that what the heck i'm trying yeah i don't know i don't know if i have a good answer but i i don't think i kind of kept any good memories or yeah not good me- i don't think i kept any kind of um any good like quips or anything right mm-hmm. off the top of my head that i could give about it I, it you know it was just a i don't know five or six issue miniseries uh which sounds a bit flip i don't mean to say like I, I just did it and didn't think about it but like um you know put up against 40 whatever issues of wicked and divine and the, oh, some sure. of these other longer projects some of these five issue things kind of i i couldn't i probably forgot I completely forgot about that until you brought
0: it up uh when, when looking at something like wicked and divine if if that had been your only project do you think he would have left it a lot earlier
1: oh like if that was all only thing i was coloring at the time like would i have gotten
0: maybe like, yeah the
1: itch to move on to something yeah. else? i uh, i mean maybe but then just knowing me and my personality i know i would have stuck around just to finish it off uh for like you know oh, I, I you know don't want to let people down but also like there's i you know this this bit of pride and because i uh that book in particular is the longest run i've ever had on any comic and i that's just that is a point of pride for me so like you know being on something that potentially could go a long time for me and And that I also still enjoy. You know, I don't think I put myself through something I hate uh, for any either of those reasons. But the fact that you know I enjoyed the project, and I knew it, I knew it would become. uh, You know, at a certain point, I knew how long the series was going to end up running, and and I thought, oh, that that will then be my longest running series uh, that I've ever colored. Uh, Yeah, so that so little things like that probably would have kept me around. Something that's that's not specifically the how much am I enjoying coloring this or how hungry am I for something different uh, Yeah, I would have probably placed another factor in that decision and stuck around regardless
0: which of your collaborations with, uh, with Jamie do you think would have been one of your favorites or what would be at the top of the list
1: <sighs> maybe a few specific issues in the Wicked and the Divine but if I had to pick a whole series or whatever I'd probably say Phonogram Volume 3 Uh, mainly because uh, I was just at a con like two weekends ago and I had a couple people bring me those to sign and I hadn't really looked at them in a while and I was kind of flipping through signing and talking to the people and uh, it just reminded me how much I really enjoyed that series on all levels but in particular working on it. Uh, So yeah, if I had to pick a series and even though we've worked together for a long time we haven't done that many different projects together so I don't have a bunch of, you know, it's like we did uh, suburban glamor which was the one he wrote and drew and then phonogram and then uh, young Avengers basically at marvel I and mean, we did a few little things at marvel but anything of substance would be young Avengers and then wicked and divine so um, phonogram just has a special place maybe because it's kind of it's like my origin storybook a bit and then for me personally and then I just really like the work we did on that third volume and so
0: mm-hmm how easy is it for you to look at your old work? I mean, I, uh, some artists are like, oh, I can't even look at that stuff, but how easy do you find it to be able to look at it and not necessarily take a critical eye or just kind of appreciate what you did at the time?
1: Yeah, I, I can appreciate what I did at the time, I think, most most of the time. Um, yeah, there's some stuff I hate because uh, I did some bad stuff, but like I did some some good stuff too, so I can appreciate that stuff. Uh, and then, if I don't know, I'm like cleaning up my office or rearranging something, and I, I just happen to pick up an old piece of work and uh, flip through it. Uh, There'd be times where I'm like, I did that? Like, huh? I don't remember. <laughs> like, I don't really remember doing. It. I'm like, that was kind of that was a pretty good idea by me. I should do that again sometime. Like, I kind of forgot about that. So,
0: in terms of uh, s- some of these kind of other projects, like working on something like Terminator um obviously there's a very kind of established aesthetic what is it like to color a book like that
1: um yeah i mean anytime you do anything like kind of licensed there's always uh in the back of your head like um I don't know, a mix of like, uh, am I going to get a lot of notes on this? Because there's that extra level, you know, beyond editorial that, that has an opinion on, and a stake in what this ends up looking like. Uh, so, you know, there's, that's something to consider when doing that kind of work. Uh, excuse me. Um, and then it's, it's fun to take a thing that's established, and um, if you haven't you know, recently consumed it, maybe maybe consume it again uh, to refresh yourself and then kind of filter it through uh, your own sensibilities. So, like, I watched a bunch of, you know, I watched Terminator, or maybe even not. Sometimes it's fun to not rewatch it and, and just go based on a kind of, you know, nostalgia or recollection of, like, you know, what do I remember Terminator looking like? And a lot of those, like, electric blues and stuff from, like, the electricity when the Terminators would time travel and, you know that kind of thing so i do find those to be if i especially if i like the property uh to be fun little exercises in uh kind of reorganizing your your likes and dislikes your thoughts on a certain property and then kind of like deciding well of all that stuff like what am i going to latch on to for my color choices what what speaks to me what is you know what color is this property and what am I going to do with it?
0: Is there a licensed property that you'd love to be able to provide colors for? Hmm.
1: No, I've done a bunch of them. Um,
0: or which is, or which is the favorite of the ones you've done?
1: Oh man. What have I done? I am trying to think back. I, done a lot of different like and they've been random oh you know what i got it uh this is because i love these movies when i was a kid uh i loved the first five planet of the apes movies mm. um and so I, I think i only ever did like an eight page story as far as like sequential work but i did a bunch of covers and images and stuff uh from you know boom had the license and um and I, so basically every time one of those got offered to me I was just like it was an immediate yes uh, I'll take that uh, and do that project or that cover or whatever Um, and I I happened to be with a bunch of artists who I quite liked as well so uh, yeah that one was good oh and then uh, I don't not like I was dying to do this not like it holds that special place in my heart other than you know the movie I watched a lot as a kid was uh, I did um, Die Hard Year One uh, comic that was kind of fun I have fond memories of doing that book
0: (laughs) Now, how do you approach colors in something like that where it is, you know, very real world? Again, like, it's not – there's not really a heightened sense of reality like a lot of other things that you have worked on.
1: Which – and then funnily enough, that one specifically, uh, I kind of stylized the crap out of those colors because it was, like, set in the 70s. And and so I really, like, played up the kind of 70s, like – what. I don't even know what to call them. I guess they were like sewing patterns. My mom sewed <laughs> clothes and stuff when I was a kid. And so I, I immediately, uh, the style of the drawings kind of felt that way, like the look of everybody. Like, you know, I growing up in the early 80s and stuff, and my mom had all these sewing patterns from the 70s. And uh, uh, so I took a lot of influence from some of, like, the – you buy a sewing pattern, it comes in this little pack, and the cover usually has like some kind of colored fashion illustration on it of the garment that you're going to make, uh, or at least it used to. They probably have pictures on them now. But um, so, yeah, I, I, I think in that case, that was my initial inspiration for that, uh, which is not realistic at all. You know, it was very stylized and stripped down, and I kind of played up some blocky shapes of color and <laughs> some dot patterns and stuff. So,
0: when uh, when wicked and divine was kind of being uh, pu- you know put together, was it always going to be like? Was it always understood that you were going to be the colorist in that? Or at what point did Karen and Jamie come to you?
1: Yeah, well, they definitely asked. I mean, they, they didn't uh, even though we had a long-standing working relationship at that point. I think they were still kind enough to not assume anything. They do out color kind of thing, they, but they asked. And I said, well, yeah, of course. Uh, uh, but yeah, we was probably asked over email ahead of time but then the big thing i I, that sticks out in my memory was there was um i don't remember the year maybe 2013 or 20 yeah it's probably anyway uh it was right as we our young avengers run was wrapping up uh as far as coming out on stands we had already finished working on it and then we were at um the convention in the uk uh called thought bubble and that's when we had like kind of our first like our you know with the three of us talk about it and what they were thinking and looking for and that kind of stuff and, um, and so yeah so and then we came out june that that next year 2014 i guess that would have been so yeah so that was november of the year previous so a good 8 months before it ever hit stands it's the first memory i have of really talking about we may have talked about it in the email before that but mm-hmm.
0: so now in 20 i guess late 2014 uh, you end up working on thor uh, how did that come about because i mean that's a very first of all your colors are absolutely phenomenal all the way through that book not that you're already not an amazing colorist but there's just something about so. how you bring especially when you started that book how you brought Jane Foster to life and really the energy that crackled on every page but how did they ask you to, to be the artist in that book or the color artist I should say
1: yeah I was yeah I was actually I was surprised by that offer at the time I remember um, because especially because of like the look of the book the look of the runs prior to that and you know it was still Jason's uh, story and all that, and I was like, wow, that's quite a, it's odd, I feel odd they're asking me, um, knowing what it already looks like, because I think I was, you know, I was either, like, probably doing Young Open or I guess waking a Divine at that point. Uh, anyway, it was, I didn't understand the, the ask, but then, when they said it was um, with Russell Dowderman, I had done a few covers with him at uh, Valiant, I guess it was, uh, which he had asked for me on those, and uh, based on my colors, on other stuff, uh, I guess there's a lot of that I was doing um, with my color choices that he liked, and um, so we worked together just on some covers a, f- a few times, and then yeah, he asked he asked me he asked uh, Will Moss, the editor of the book, uh, if I could be the colorist on that, and so uh, yeah, they gave me that offer, and uh, it worked out great. Uh, i had not worked with Russell, like I said, on anything more than covers before, so um, that ended up being a really great collaboration.
0: Now when, I mean obviously I guess, I'm, I'm, maybe I'm just exposing my naivete here, but uh, I guess when Russell kind of designed or whoever designed the, Jamie, the uh, Jane Foster version of Thor um, what was the collaboration like in terms of actually implementing the color choices or exactly how the you know, certain things are going to look? Because it's such a definitive look in terms of how you colored it and where you have the light sources and where everything kind of reflects. How into the design process were yours just on the page?
1: Yeah, for me it was just on the page because like, I think, i um, pretty sure Esad had designed her as his run ended and, and then, of course, Russell's did his kind of, his take on, on that design and it looks, it's pretty faithful but like, you know, Russell's drawings look a lot different than Esad's drawings but anyway, um, so that was all kind of established like the, kind of the color of, and then uh, Russell's another person who um, I mean, he, he might say he, he's not that great at the co- actually doing the coloring but he has a good eye for color as well i think and he and i talk about color a lot and his notes can be pretty color centric and especially i should say when it comes to like the costume design which is you know something he's um, or you know character design which is something he's really good at so he has a real eye for like the design of um like you know th- where the kind of blocks of colors are on the on the character um so he had some thoughts on like kind of her cape color and like that little emblem on her helmet and um you know so he would specify like this is you know very much an olive green and this is kind of a khaki and whatever you know so yeah he mm. he had a lot of input you know just through dialogue through phone conversations and emails um and then he had to often remind because i i would often not get it quite the right olive green or whatever so he'd often have to poke me throughout the process just because you know do <laughs> 100 pages a month sometimes uh, an olive green here or there is gonna not be olive enough but um yeah so we a lot of that ended up being on the page but like when he said you know that he he and I emailed after I got the offer and he said oh yeah this is why I asked for you I like the way you do this I like the way you do that um so the things he pointed out that he liked of my work um like in the wicked and the divine else some of it like a lot of the powers were real bright and colorful and poppy and that kind of thing. And then he pointed out some things I'd been doing on Swamp Thing and various other projects. And so I just kind of cobbled all those pieces together um, and kept that in mind as I worked on the pages.
0: What was uh, curious, like how – people are able to make, this is going to sound really dumb, so I apologize, but uh, like looking at Jane Foster and the way in which, I guess he's doing the pencils and the way you're bringing even just her hair to life, like it just has this great look to it. And I will say I'm slightly colorblind, so maybe I'm not even quite seeing what everyone else sees, but it just looks, it it really pops off the page in such a believable way. And I'm just curious how you're going to get that down or how you get the right shading down because it just seems so difficult to make hair work
1: uh yeah i mean just um years of life drawing and looking at reference and uh you know kind of just i think a non-stop um taking in of influences i mean i'm just mm-hmm. every time i see uh you know some kind of fashion photography or some kind of advertisement that's beautifully shot or beautifully lit or something even if it's not you know if I, not a place where I can literally save it onto my computer take a picture of it my phone or something I try to make a mental note of it that kind of thing I mean I just look for you know the things I love the, the, the things I like out in the world and, and try to do those things in my work so mm-hmm. uh, you know I, that's probably a broad answer that doesn't speak specifically to say Okay. hair but uh <laughs> but, but it applies to it you know what i mean like oh, that's for sure. when i go to color her hair i go wow how do i think that how will this look how is this gonna look cool to me like how would i want to do this to make it look cool
0: mm-hmm.
1: um, or you know fit the scene or whatever and yeah you know, a lot of it stems from like oh she's got her hammer in a dark space like i'm gonna light everything from the hammer that'll look cool and then you know that just expands out how's her hair lit how's her helmet lit so
0: What do you use for? Do you use any kind of reference work for understanding how light sources work in certain instances?
1: Mm, Sometimes, if it's, I mean, I'll I'll do it when I do it in in very specific instances. It's usually because I get stumped or something, um, or 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 I want to try something I don't quite have a feel comfortable with doing just from my head. Um, But then, yeah, a lot of the stuff that comes just from my head is just leftover from referencing old, you know previous work that kind of stuff just a mental catalog that's built up over the years
0: i have a specific Uh, question about uh, coloring heimdall how do you get the the starry effect looking just right in his eyes
1: oh yeah so that's a benefit of russell uh drawing digitally and us planning ahead for that effect um so russell draws that element as a separate element in you know on its own layer so then i can manipulate it separately from the rest of heimdall's lines and then the, any of the colors that you know i put like on like heimdall's skin or his helmet or you know any other part that's kind of around his face uh, where those stars are so like just and that was a thing that um you know that plus a lot of things for jane's lightning and mm-hmm. so i'm trying to think what else uh, that we had to do a lot of that did you know we kind of evolved how we did it from when we first did it it. but like the Heimdall ones I guess a fine example no need to think of others Uh, you know the first time he did it like as far as how he laid out the layer and the drawing is not how he did it the last time he did it we came up with ways that just made it easier for me to you know be able to color it and manipulate it more thoroughly and easily Um, so yeah like and that would be a lot of our back and forth either during an issue or just after an issue or you know I would say hey this was kind of a pain this way so maybe (laughs) next issue like if we if you tweak it you know if you maybe if you give it to me just like this we tweak it just a little bit that would make my life that would save me like you know a whole hour or something um stuff like that so we'd bounce ideas off each other um that way so yeah and that's great that's the benefit of having an artist that works digitally and then who's also you know interested and curious as to like how the colorist does their job and how they can make the colorist job easier and um and then how the two of us could work together to get results that like either we couldn't get otherwise if we hadn't collaborated that way, or would be really hard for me to go back in and do like on the back end without Russell giving it to me in separate layers. And Jamie works the same way; he works digitally. Uh, we have the same kinds of discussions. So. Yeah, it's great.
0: Um, how how big of a undertaking I mean it was obviously a big project, but was war of the realms in terms of coloring it and and making sure it all worked because I mean that was a big project
1: yeah um yeah that was that was and that was a different so different than a lot of my projects in that we were so ahead of schedule and had so much time I mean we were working on that uh let's see it came out in the spring we were probably, and we probably started. I started getting files like at the end of you know last summer. Uh, wow. So like, yeah. So I mean, I probably had uh, from when I first started working on it to when the, I finished the last issue. Um, I don't remember. Like, I finished the last issue right around the beginning of summer, I guess, and then I started the first issue at the end of the previous summer. So it was like you know, a good eight months or whatever. So that was different in and of itself. There's not a lot of projects that run that way, but because Jason had everything, like, already planned out. You know, this is where his Thor run was always going. Um, he was able to to get us going a year in advance, basically. Because Russell and I he took a little bit of a break after we finished our Thor run. And then uh, he got going, you know, I don't know, a month or so after our Thor stuff. And then he got going on War of the Realms. Like, we just went right from Thor into War of the Realms while Jason was doing, you know, his... <laughs> other his regular Thor run kept going and then Hmm. we went off and did our big event thing
0: what kind of lessons did you learn from working on like a a big event like that
1: um it's a pain in the butt when every character in the Marvel universe is in your book uh uh, lots it's a lot of reference and notes in the back end to go fix people's costumes that you colored wrong or uh or when you look up reference, you think I think nah, I'm not gonna ask their editor for reference, I'll just look it up, and then I, I get the slightly wrong version of them. Anyway, no, it's uh, too much complaining. Um <laughs> it, I you know, it's just it's funny, I could like be coloring a like the most kind of pedestrian street level John Constantine Hellblazer story, or I could be coloring War of the Realms and I don't no, that's just while there's some technical differences and some like tangible differences in the things i'm literally doing to every page like the the mental process isn't you know it it only varies by small small degrees uh, or a few degrees because like you know it's i still kind of go through the same storytelling checkpoints no matter what i'm coloring you know like Mm -hmm. i'm looking to enhance story beats i'm looking to guide the eye um and you know Sometimes I guide the eye using the highlights off the lightning of Thor's hammer, and sometimes I guide the eye with, like, you know, how I'm casting a little bit of light on all the debris in this alleyway. I mean, you know, it's just like I'm still doing the same things kind of almost on no matter what I'm working on. So yeah, it's it, you, I think people would be surprised at how and maybe maybe I just am not paying close enough attention. But <laughs> I feel like uh, <laughs> I think people would be surprised at how similar all this stuff really is uh, from from my perspective when I'm doing the work. Uh, you know, because like I said, it's the storytelling that I'm really concentrating on, and that's the same across you know all the
0: books. So sure. Um, a question I have is that earlier this year, Marvel got to bring Conan back to the Marvel Universe and actually start making Conan books again. So, how, who asked you to be on that book with uh, Jason and Mahmood?
1: Yeah, the, um, I think that was just an editorial email, maybe. Um, you know, just that the Jason and Mahmood were interested in me working on the book with them. Marvel was, you know, interested in having me do it. And uh, did I have any interest in doing it? And, at the time that was like the perfect uh project for me because um that was i was already working on War of the realms and um i don't remember what else maybe runaways or something like that and uh you know that like we were talking earlier the nice thing about being able to do four to six titles a month is the variety and so it it would sure suck up all of my six books were the same. So I looked at that and thought, Oh, that's a perfect compliment to what I'm already doing. The swords and sandals kind of thing. Um, I don't think when I accepted, I knew what was going to, the premise of Jason's story was, but turns out it was, you know, all these little glimpses into Conan's life over the years. So we've, you know, the, each issue has been in a different location with different characters and, um, different monsters. And that. so like the variety of stuff I've got to color mm-hmm. has been awesome. Yeah, it's a, it's a great project. And, um, a huge consideration was I had never worked with Mahmood, other than a few covers, um, but nothing substantial. And I really, really uh, like his work. I was a big fan of his work. I am a big fan of his work, but was I was uh, wanting to color his work for a while, and that coupled with Conan being such a great-sounding project seem like the perfect opportunity that I, I remember at the time i thought i don't know that i have a spot in my schedule but uh, i'll be damned if i'll say no to this like i'm gonna take it and figure that out because i can't pass that up so.
0: was any were, were there any unique challenges in approaching something that again is you know a sword and sandal but very different than other kind of fantasy things you've done before
1: And I, I might be forgetting something but I've certainly never done anything um so purely sword and sandals kind of for this many issues that's for sure um so it's been fun to live in that that kind of realm for more than you know a, a miniseries or a one-off or a flashback or something um but no I mean again I kind of harkens back to that same that earlier answer about you know it's it's all storytelling it, it's you know, I fo—I really, in that book in particular, I focus on um, enhancing Conan's emotions, which are usually just rage. But mm-hmm. um, you know, uh, that's that's just a lot of fun. I mean, yeah, you know, I remember getting—I think the first pages I got uh, to do for, as like um, they get, so they could use for promo stuff was like him fighting in a in a fighting pit and um, just. I just kind of went crazy with all the red, uh, and, Mm. and, you know, I just, it really clicked. So, and the texture, the grittiness, I I don't know. It's just a lot to like in that, but, um, I really enjoy, you know, just like most artists enjoy anatomy, like drawing and coloring, you know, anatomy and stuff. There's lots of opportunities for that. So
0: for sure, and, and when doing a character like Conan, who did have such, does have such a long history, was there any kind of uh, color reference that you did as well, or just kind of went into a clean?
1: Um. Well, it's nice. Jason Aaron is such a big Conan fan that uh, <laughs> his scripts are actually littered with quotes from you know various Conan stories that's like, like you know referencing a, a villain or a side character who shows up in these comics that we're doing, um, and usually. It's, you know has some kind of descriptive language about that character um, so usually that's the extent of the reference I need um, or use and then a lot of it too then is just kind of stuff Jason has made up for that story so a lot of it you know I can look at um, Jason's descriptions plus the way Mahmood um, interpreted those descriptions and how he drew them and then you know, I'll look at that because that, that, you know, the thing with Conan, you know, the source material. A lot of that was like, kind of these half or cobbled together references to like real historical, mm-hmm. you know, peoples and places and stuff that were never thoroughly researched. Uh, they were just kind of like cobbled together, and um, and so I'll, I'll maybe kind of dig into. Some of those cultures that were being referenced originally, when some of these, like the Picts or the, um, you know, these various peoples in Conan, come up in a story, I'll, I'll, you know, go look at some reference for who those kinds of people may be referring to in our, you know, real histories.
0: So this year you won your second Eisner Award. What was it like to to win again?
1: Uh, unexpected. Uh, I think is the word that came to mind the most right there, right around then. Um, I think that uh, this year's field was uh, the nominees was really really strong. I remember seeing when the list came out, uh, thinking, oh, "That's weird. What am I doing on there with all of them? <laughs> um, and, and they're all much better than I am." And then, uh, secondly, um, every one of them had, you know, four to whatever eight titles on their nomination you know i think we all had within whatever range you know so we all that whole list was i think a lot of quality and then also a lot of quantity uh so you know you, you looked at it and you thought how could you pick a winner out of this group everybody's so good so i just assumed because i thought well everybody there's no clear favorite here in my opinion everybody's just as equally deserving as the next uh that that meant i had like a one in five shot at winning so you know more like more than likely like one of the other four people uh, would win than me so yeah super unexpected uh because yeah i think this, uh, hollingsworth who i listed earlier is kind of one of my early influences was on there mm-hmm. uh jordy belair who's won a couple of times who's really really great and uh, Tamara has been doing really good work and um it, i think nathan fairman was the other colorist on there and like yeah he's amazing as well like the the consistent quality he's able to put out i'm always uh, impressed by so yeah I, I was shocked i didn't expect it uh i didn't go this year mainly because uh, in part because i didn't expect it and i just was also kind of uh, busy this i knew i'd be busy this summer um so I was pretty surprised. And I also kind of got the days mixed. I thought it happened on a Saturday and uh, I ended up kind of falling asleep on the couch that Friday night. So I, I woke up to a bunch of texts and tweets and stuff congratulating <laughs> me the next day. I felt really bad. I was like, oh, that's such a, sounds like such a jerk move to not even, you know, I didn't even know they were happening last night kind of thing. But. <laughs> I really did think it was Saturday night and not Friday night. <laughs> did
0: did you find that you were more surprised with the first win or the second win?
1: Um I was very I was I was at the ceremony when I won the first one and I remember um I think I kind of like let out this like laugh when they called my name. So <laughs> I was very surprised in the moment. I remember being very surprised in the moment. Um I did I felt, you know, I don't, it's hard to sit like yeah, i certainly didn't think like oh i'm definitely winning this but i was i felt really good about uh that lineup of books i got nominated for and i thought i thought if i could if i'm gonna win one th- this would be the year for me to win one because this is i think a really strong showing of books um and I, I remember i don't remember everybody else who was nominated that year but i definitely remember um laura martin who again i've referenced as a, a big idol of mine and then uh, elizabeth Brightweiser who does really interesting color work um uh, they they were both nominated that year and I, I remember thinking like again they, either of them certainly deserved to win um, and again I feel bad I can't remember the other nominees in that list that year but uh, so when and like I said when they called my name that year they I, I laughed because I was, I was nominated uh, a previous year and, I, and Dave Stewart won that year and i I was I remember thinking yeah that makes sense uh, so <laughs> I, I was prepared to think that again if they'd call someone else's name basically every year that's what I'm prepared to think so
0: uh, in the fraternity of colorists is has there been a time when you've been talking to another colorist and it's kind of not blown your mind but then like oh we look at color very different ways but it's so fascinating that they look at it this way uh oh they,
1: yeah 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 we, I'm, well and that's like a common uh discussion between <laughs> so it'd be like two colors talking about a third colorist all, you're almost guaranteed to hear, like, "Man, I wish I thought about color that way." I
0: mean, <laughs>
1: or at least in my experience, like, I think that about everybody, though. So that's you know, I, I, you know, I'm definitely thinking about color a very specific way. I, I, I do realize that about myself, um, and I look at how. Other people, I look at the work other people do, and I can't say I necessarily know how they think about it. And I can just see how they, what they produce, and I realize they're thinking about this in a whole different way than I am. And I wish I, I would, not for every book, but I'm like, man, I wish I could just tap into that for when I needed it. Um, mm-hmm. so yeah, for sure, that it happens constantly. I mean, um, uh, yeah, I mean, I could list a hundred examples, of basically, everybody else, but, but <laughs> me. <laughs> I don't understand how anyone else colors.
0: <laughs> when, when, um, when you do kind of read other books, are you able to kind of divorce yourself from the technical aspects of color and just enjoy a book on its own? Or is it just something because it's your, your field and because you th- are trained to think that way? When you look at someone else's colors, do you kind of break it down in your head as to how this is, is put together? Or are you able to kind of step out of that and just enjoy it as a fan? Or is it so ingrained in you because you are a colorist that you kind of look at it at a deeper level?
1: Uh, I'm, I'm pretty good at um, compartmentalizing it, I think. Like, I, I do it, I uh, kind of almost do, like, passes, you know? Like, I'll, I'll do a just a, a reading pass that, for, for my enjoyment, and then I'll do a, a critical pass just to see how people are doing what they're doing, to see what I can learn from what people are doing, that kind of thing. Yeah, so I, but I do feel like, yeah, I am pretty good at compartmentalizing it, and I don't, I don't only see the craft, um, I guess, unless something yeah, I could be in my little reading pass and then something really impresses me that will, uh, uh, that'll, that'll jar me out of that. And then I'll sit there and study it. But yeah, <laughs> uh, otherwise I'm pretty good at compartmentalizing it.
0: Are there any other upcoming projects you can talk about that, that, uh, wouldn't be spoiling or that are at least known that are coming? <laughs> yeah. Uh,
1: I'm working as we talk, I'm working on, um, undiscovered country, uh, which is, uh, Charles soul and Scott Snyder co-writing, mm-hmm. um, uh, does that be Common Calling uh, Coming out through Image At the end of this year, November I guess uh, So that's coming out, uh, working on that uh, And Let me think, anything else Working on some other things that aren't announced Um Creator owned wise and then Working on some things that aren't announced Well, is that, no, uh, yeah And uh, I've got some Marvel stuff coming, I mean I'm still doing Conan and then um I've got two other things at Marvel. I don't. I, I know one's not announced. Can't remember the other. Anyway, I'm kind of bad answers for. The, you <laughs> caught me at a bad time for that kind of for that question.
0: That's okay. With undiscovered country, like, what is it like working with that creative team?
1: It's been great. Actually, we've been emailing like crazy today because we're trying to get um, an issue wrapped up. And uh, it's been an interesting contrast for my year. The first half was. Books that I had been working on, or uh, for three to five, four years, whatever. And now the second half of my year is basically a bunch of books, that, you know, that are just getting started. Uh, so I went from like a bunch of books that are all running smooth and know their identity and you know kind of figured out what they are, and, um, to a bunch of books that are figuring all that stuff out. So that's right now. I'm emailing in uh, or on a Slack channel or whatever a ton with the um, Let's cover country crew, excuse me, um, because you know all of us are trying to decide on, you know, they know what the, the book is in a broad sense, but you know now it's time to fill in all the details, essentially, at least for the first issue. And um,
0: have you worked with Kevin Coley before?
1: Uh, no, no, huh. that was a that was an intriguing aspect of that pitch for me, for sure. Uh, and then I'd worked with um, Charles before on Swamp Thing. Which I really, really enjoyed, and I liked his writing on that a lot. So, and we kept saying, like, you know, we really want to work together again on something, and this is the first thing that's happened since then. So, and I don't think I'd ever, maybe I think I might have done like a random single issue that Scott Snyder wrote, but he and I hadn't really met before this. So, um, again, someone whose work I've enjoyed over the years. So, yeah, when the, they came to me about this, it was a great creative team it's kind of a no-brainer to say and the timing because a lot of times i'll get those kinds of offers and it'll be like wow i just i I don't have any room for it but i was like oh this sounds great but really i can't take anything until you know end of summer kind of and they're like oh that's perfect that's when we're gonna get started so
0: (laughs) have there been like how many times has have you taken a book solely because oh man i really want to work with that artist i haven't had a chance yet
1: yeah i mean yeah a lot i guess (laughs) Because a lot of people are like, "Oh, what's your what's a character you've been dying to work on or that you haven't worked on you want to work on, or who's your favorite character to work on? And I don't have a good answer for that one either, because it's usually I'm more interested in who's drawing whatever I'm coloring than I am, you know what what it is they're drawing. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you, know, usually it's the artist um, and or writer that has me intrigued to take a project more so than even you know the subject matter because I mean unless I can't imagine I, I, I can't I literally cannot imagine a book that I would just you know find boring the whole way through to work on um, yeah like there's bound to be something I'm going to enjoy coloring as, so as long as I like the art and, um, and or the writer
0: and you're working on three it. other books at the same time
1: yes exactly <laughs> so uh, you know and again and uh, you know I've, I've been really lucky for a long time now that I've just been I've worked on a bunch of really great stuff so I'm into not really had any, like, downers uh, in quite a while where it's just, like, uninspiring or any issues with from, from that side of things,
0: mm-hmm. so. Do you yeah. have a, a, a book, kind of a, any remaining kind of bucket list artist that you really want to be able to put colors over? Mm,
1: no, I just don't think, I don't think highly enough of myself because if I have an artist that I think that highly of, I wouldn't want to subject them to my work. You know, like, I'm just like, (laughs) (laughs) they're probably better served by someone else's work. I just, I I don't, it's just not a list I keep.
0: (laughs) Uh, This is a a similar question, but different in terms of art that's, you know, older artwork. uh, Sometimes they recolor, you know, old pieces. Is there any kind of particular um, artist from back in the day that you would love to be able to recolor?
1: i've already now i already i've already done it i got to do um in i a like captain america 700 it must have been 700 that's a number that makes sense that uh, one of the last big milestone issues or whatever uh i did they repurposed like uh jack kirby art into a new 10 page story and i call oh, it that so okay. nice. yeah so that was kind of i mean you can't do much better than that though, so
0: what was that like in terms of like did you find that challenging or was it just like in terms of getting um, it right and making sure it kind of uh was good enough for the king like how how yeah. difficult was that
1: well i mean it was certainly like yeah it's it challenging and that it like i had an idea of what i should be doing uh maybe not like i didn't have the finished pages like in my mind's eye when i started but like i kind of had this big shape of what the thing should look like when it's done um and, and hoping I'd find, like, the details along the way. Um, so I, I felt like I set off with a direction, knowing that, like, along the way, kind of the speed bumps I would hit are, like, fine-tuning, like, how, how much do I let some, some modern coloring techniques or sensibilities seep in it? And then uh, and then the other side of that, that um, scale would be, like, well, how literally do I want to lean into, like, an style coloring, like, do I literally want to go put, you know, bandaid dots back into this, like, <laughs> is, or is that a cheap gimmick? Like, I don't, like, that may not be the correct answer to this project. Um, and it, it ended up being kind of uh, in between, if I remember correctly. <laughs>
0: um,
1: so, yeah, so it, it's it got a thing happening in it that's, like, a, a slightly different level than, like, say, the kind of storytelling Checklist that I run through when I'm coloring something, um, you know. There's that, but then there's also the the layer of uh, you know the reverence of which I'm handling. You know this classic artwork. This, you know,
0: but it wasn't wasn't too intimidating. They didn't want to do it.
1: No, I mean, I, I certainly I certainly had pause before I said yes because um, I had to think like is that something I'm up for? Uh, but I think, you know, I kind of color flat. I, well, I mean, I, certain books I color kind of flat anyway, and I, I feel like that's uh, at least a, a good starting point for how colors should think of recoloring old work um. is to probably not apply too many modern-day techniques to it just because the art wasn't really built for that, and it just, to me, looks... Odd and incongruous, like the two just don't go together well, in my opinion, mm-hmm. almost all the time. Um, I do. I really bristle at the comments when I see someone like people making these authoritative statements of like old comics should never be recolored, and I just dis- I just disagree. I think that's a terrible uh, blanket statement to make uh, because then every time every example they give, I they just give examples of crappy coloring, and I think, well, yeah. I mean, if all you're gonna do is show bad coloring, then then of course, your argument is uh, the comics. Old comics shouldn't be recolored, but like, you could point to these um, some amazing colorists and say, and "You can't tell me that they couldn't do it right." So, uh, anyway, I, I I look at those kinds of jobs. like go, ah, "Am I? Do I think I can do it well?" Uh, and if I do think I can do it well, I'm happy to do it because I think those old comics can be recolored if handled correctly.
0: It's mm-hmm. interesting perspective, yeah, because. I mean, I've seen some recolorings where I wonder if it added something, but there are others where I think yes, I say can. I guess it depends on, you know, the level of care that's going into it as well.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think, like, and again, I'm not going to uh, disagree with the statement that there have been old comics recolored absolutely horribly. Like Yes, <laughs> that is a that is very true statement. Um, but I think you could take that same comic and recolor it really, really well, and, additive to it, uh, but you know, it's, of course, I'm a colorist. Of course, I'm going to say that.
0: So. When they uh, when they recolored uh, uh, Jim Lee's X Men: uh, Mutant Genesis, like that was, mm. it was like reading a new comic. Like it, it yeah. felt, and like it's, it was still the original comic, and it didn't take anything away. It just felt even more vibrant and full of energy. And it was just, it was so interesting to see what modern techniques could do with a piece of work that people already like. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah and I think, like, I mean, you, you gotta hope for the best. You gotta hope that. The colorist is going to have all those thoughts about like how can I enhance I mean a color a good color should be thinking this about brand new artwork that they're coloring how can I best enhance this work how can I help tell the story how can I enhance the artist's line work I mean those are those should be our first objectives as colorists and that should go for recoloring you know older work too is am I is what I'm doing like just there to show off or is it actually there to make the work better Um, and if it's you know, if it's not there to make the work better, then you shouldn't be doing it, in my opinion. No. Who,
0: who's an artist that you would love to go back and recolor? Mm. I mean, I know you have. You've done with, with Jack now. You've done in this repurposed right. story. Yeah, but. No, I
1: mean, like, um, like, uh, God, I miss maybe not old enough, you know, like, uh, like maybe a Paul Pope. Um, okay. I think he had some black and white comics that I think, like, while. If they were they were drawn for black and white, so maybe they wouldn't be the best to recolor, but uh, or to color. But um, and then like Mazzucchelli or something, like I don't know. I like, but they're all done with it. His stuff was colored well to begin with. I just like coloring in the flat style, so I probably wouldn't do anything different. (laughs) Probably wouldn't be worth doing then.
0: Just be the same thing, just yours.
1: Yeah, yeah, basically, (laughs) just yeah. (laughs) Yeah, that's a terrible answer because yeah, that wouldn't be worth doing. Um, Some, uh, some, maybe some Frank Miller stuff. Uh, like Dark Knight stuff. Um, I would love to try, or even some modern Frank Miller. To be honest, be interesting. Um, yeah, just who else? I'm not. Try to think who would I like to color. I don't think about these things enough. Clearly,
0: (laughs) that's okay. Well, you're you're focused on the work usually. That's why
1: it is. (laughs) It's sad that you look at my two read pile of comics over there. It's ridiculously high. It's because I'm. I was like, I'm sitting at my desk coloring comics instead of sitting on my couch reading them.
0: When was the last time you actually, uh, and this isn't necessarily professional work, but just in general, when was the last time you actually colored with, you know, physical medium?
1: Um, just the other weekend. I did, uh, when I got a show's uh, comic conventions, I'll do um, color commissions. Okay. So like someone brings me a piece, that you know, a commission they got, like a sketch or whatever, uh, and then I'll color it with markers. Uh, so I've done that. Yeah, you know, fairly regularly it shows, and I uh, just did a couple uh, weekend or two ago, so very recently. My markers are still sitting out. In fact,
0: I guess it keeps you fresh, right? Because you're not—it it keeps that that uh, that skill from atrophying.
1: Yeah, and there's it's it's a sense of danger. There's no undo button. You gotta really think about
0: your—you
1: huh. your, know—the thing you're about to put down before you do it.
0: And That's it, interesting. It does, I hadn't thought of that.
1: Yeah, it stretches different uh, parts of your brain because yeah you, know, you can't just kind of dive into it you really got to think through a few steps uh, so it's fun it's fun some, some colors i know hate doing it uh, for that reason and others and it's, it's a bit slower and laborious process than coloring digitally um but I, I especially if i'm at a convention it's a nice way to you know pass the time and that kind of thing
0: would you ever do an adult coloring book just like you know or is that just too much like work
1: that's a lot of work. It's probably too much work. Uh, but except for like on holidays, uh, like at home for Thanksgiving, uh, I, there are many coloring books at my mom's house that she keeps around for my nieces and that you can clearly see like, Oh, that, that's an uncle Matt page. Uh, so like, yeah, like, like in instances like those, like I'm just sitting around coloring my nieces or whatever. I'm going to go to town on those pages and really show those kids how it's done. So. <laughs>
0: Yeah, you know those kids. They, you know, they have to be knocked down a few pegs.
1: Yeah, I mean, come on. <laughs> how, how are they going to know what they should be striving for if I don't show
0: them? Absolutely, uh, at least a couple of times. So. <laughs> well, Matt, thank you so much for taking so much of your time today I to talk care, with man. us, and uh, it's been a great pleasure having you on. Thank you so much.
1: Oh, my, oh dude, it was a great, it was an enjoyable interview. Thank you.
0: Thank you.